the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper on the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing a potential new home for a powerful Cuban import and finishing up our catcher talk. And we'll start things off with the most interesting player alive today, and that is Zach Granke, who did not have a good outing against the Cardinals. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of Jake Peavy. Jake Peavy will talk to... About after Zach Greinke actually did pitch well, and he's coming off of a very good season with a slightly altered pitch mix. And we spoke about Greinke, I believe it was September, wondering about his slider usage and his cutter usage. And overall, he, he didn't end up regressing. He actually finished with an ERA that was the second best of his career at 263. But given that pitch mix change, are you concerned at all about what that does for him in the future and in 2014 in particular? You know, I actually had a really interesting discussion about this on Twitter recently because, you know, one of the things that's come up in my interviews this year and just talking to players is, you know, what what makes a pitch a pitch, you know? Uh, for example, Gregerson, you know, famously has what he calls a slider, but he's got two of them. Eight sliders for Gregerson. Right, exactly. So, um, and, and so do we call that a slider or do we call that slow slider, fast slider? What do we do with that? You know, uh, A.J. Burnett has a knuckle curve, but he throws it a little bit further out and a little bit slower, and it becomes more like a slider. And he, he kind of thinks of those as two different pitches. So, you know, they, they have these different ways of altering their pitches. And I think that might be what's going on with Greinke because the, slutter, the, the cutter and the slider, sometimes called a slutter, um, the cutter and the slider, as they're def- defined in different places, are, are very similar. We're talking about a couple inches different uh, horizontal movement, a couple inches different vertical movement, a couple miles, miles per hour. And it's very possible that they have the same grip. Sometimes people call a cutter a baby slider. Uh, there's different kinds of cut fastballs, but one of them is called like a baby slider and is, is basically thought to be more like a slider. So anyway... Uh, I was talking about this online, and, and uh, one of my followers um, is... Uh... <laughs> I just get a chuckle, because hearing you say one of your followers, it sounds like you're some like lord of the underworld, and, and, and your followers that are bowing down to you. I, I won't lie. I, I had no idea how to phrase that. I just went with it. <laughs> no, but it's uh, true. Because on Twitter, I mean, that's what they're called, followers. But it just... Yeah, what a- one of my tweet friends, um, so uh, one of my online buddies, um, pointed out that uh, he works in the in the industry and he and he looks at signs a lot, and um, so he he thinks that that's really important because you know if you if your catcher has a sign for it, then it's a legit different pitch. And he mentioned that Lou Gregerson had there's a sign for the slow slider and a sign for the fast slider, so. That, I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. And so, I mean, I, I wish I had thought about that going into the season. I'd be asking that question more of, of pitchers that I talk to. But um, I, I'll do that in the future, and I'll be asking, you know, oh, so you kind of have two knuckle curves, A.J. Burnett. Do you have two signs for those? So uh, we were talking about Granky, and he said that Granky has one sign um, for the slider or the cutter. And 
uh, it's possible he just takes a little bit off and he adds a little bit more, um, you know, to, to, to get those different movements. Yeah, because it's weird. Looking back at Granke's pitch FX overview, his slider was his best pitch easily. And it was a dominant, like a really, really good pitch. Uh, like a 19% swinging strike rate, great strikeout and walk rates. Of course, those are probably pretty meaningless given the fact that those have to be set up. And, and, and it's, you know, obviously pitches before that and the sequencing have a lot to do with that. But a really high swinging strike rate. It also got ground balls most years. So that was a great pitch for him to, to think that he suddenly gave that up and he started throwing a cutter. It just wouldn't make sense. Yeah, unless what, like what we were talking about was that uh, he was hurt or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and that was definitely something worth thinking about, considering the clavicle and all that stuff. But um, you know, one of the things also is that um, you know he still used the slider twice as much as the cutter this year, according to to Brooks Baseball. And uh, I'm I'm now looking at what what happened in the second half. Uh, yeah, he used the slider a little bit more and the cutter a little bit less in the second half. So maybe it was um, just uh, a reaction to the clavicle and trying to, you know, and trying to stay healthy and, and, and just finding a, a pitch that was like a slider but was uh, a little bit easier on him and a little bit slower. Uh, and then as the season went on, he went back to um, the slider a little bit. Although, actually, the cutter is faster, but it has less, a little bit um, different movement, so... I think that basically it's one pitch, and he's got little different things he does to it. Yeah, and you know what's odd about Granky? Well, there's a couple of odd things. First off, my perception of Granky is somebody who most of the time underperforms his ERA estimators. Is that how you feel about Granky too? Are you, do you feel like every year he's always underperforming? Because when I look at his career ERA, it's essentially the same as his Sierra. So I don't know. Maybe – Maybe this year had a lot to do with it because he was a full run below his Sierra, and so that brought them together a lot closer. Yeah, I mean, uh, he pitched in uh, Milwaukee for a year and gave up a homer per nine. That was uh, not too surprising that he pitched. Uh, and that was a big year in terms of his discrepancy because he struck out almost 11 per nine and walked two per nine uh, and had an FIP under three. Uh, but... He pitched in Milwaukee in front of a bad defense and in a homer park, and he had one homer per nine and a BABIP over 300. So that year probably did a lot to sort of reinforce this idea. You know, other years he's been closer. He had a 348 ERA, a 310 FIP. Um, you know, with the Royals, he had one year where, you know, it was kind of crazy. I don't know what was going on that year, but he also didn't strike out anybody. So I think he's been sort of up and down a little bit more than you might expect from a guy who uh, can strike out a lot of batters. And in fact, if you look at his strikeout rate, it's gone anywhere from this year's you know, 7.5 per nine, 20%, all the way up to 28%. So he clearly, I think he finds what's working, and I wouldn't be surprised to, to see an injury in the future just because he's a starting pitcher and everybody gets injured. And also just because I've, we see these little changes in pitching mix and you know, you know these different ups and downs over his career. I think they they sort of talk to someone who every year tries to find what's working, what's working for him. Yeah, that's the other wrinkle that I thought was odd about Granky is that his strikeout rate has really jumped up and down. And what's strange is that this year his swinging strike percentage was at the second highest mark of his career, 
and yet his strikeout percentage dropped to just 20.6%, just a bit below his career average. And so I checked out Baseball Reference. Sure enough, he posted a career-low looking strike rate. And that's strange because, first of all, if you look at his pitch mix, it doesn't seem like the type of pitch mix. I mean, I guess the curveball gets a lot of looking strikes, but cutters, change-ups, sliders, those are all swing-and-miss type pitches. So it's odd that he suddenly didn't get a lot of called strikes because his curveball, he, you know, he's been throwing 10 to 15% of the time almost his entire career. So it seems like that's probably kind of fluky, and that means that maybe his strikeout rate, considering he's going to be in the National League, it should rebound a bit next year, I would think. Yeah, um, and, yeah and, and, you know, it's also tempting to say, well, you know, a broken clavicle, you know, related to Carlos Quentin is not, you know, a pitching injury. Um, so it might be uh, it might be easy to say, well, other than 2011, he's been like a 200-innings pitch guy, you know, for a while now. Um, but, you know, just, just looking at the different ups and downs of, of his velocity, I mean, when he came back from the, from the clavicle thing, his velocity was down a lot, and he recovered some of that, but... You know, his velocity still for the year was a career low. And um, considering that he's not a, an exceptional ground ball guy, I mean, he's definitely above average most years, um, I would say that there's definitely some risk with him. And uh, I'm not buying hardcore this year. Well, there's another red flag. If you check out his first strike percentage trend since 2009, it's declined a smidge every single year. And now it's below 60%. It's below the league average. He had always pretty much been above the league average. And when you think of Zach Greinke, you think of somebody who has excellent control. But he's below average in first strike percentage, yet his walk rate has essentially been the same every single year. So something's got to give. If if he's not going to keep throwing first pitch strikes like he used to, you would think it's going to lead to a higher walk rate and, and maybe the worst walk rate of his career in 2014. Yeah, I mean, the, on the other hand, he just moved into one of the weakest hitting divisions in baseball and, uh, and has a decent home park. So, I mean, um, he could go up to a two, you know, he could, he could, that walk rate could go up to his career high uh, in a full season, which is uh, 6.6, 7%, and it'd still be better than the league average. His strikeout rate was almost the worst it's ever been last year. If he still if he did both of those things, he'd still probably be a three ERA guy in the National League West. All right, this year he was the 14th most valuable starting pitcher and 43rd in value overall, according to Zach Sanders' value calculator. You think he'll do better than that, or you project about the same for him next year, or worse? Well, I'd, I'd predict a little bit worse. I mean, a 263 ERA, 111 whip. I doubt it's going to happen. Um, so uh, his steamer is 322, 115 in terms of ERA and whip. That seems decent. It also asks, it also says he's going to rebound the strikeouts. Um, I mean, that would keep him in the same place. I think you know the ERA and whip go up, and the strikeouts. Um, I mean, go down, and the, and the strikeouts go up. That would keep him, you know, right in that. Uh, bad number one, you know, lower tier number one, higher tier number two. And that's usually where I shop. I just, um, I haven't looked at it yet, but I have a feeling that there will be a couple other ones that will fall that I would rather have. 
Also remember that that broken collarbone cost him innings, and so he was only at 177 for the year, which he was still the 14th most valuable given that low innings total. He should rebound and, and return back to the 200-inning plateau, so that'll increase his strikeouts. Plus, if his strikeout rate increases, that'll also boost his strikeouts. So I think that should offset some of the ERA and whip erosion that I'm sure we're going to see next year. And so I think 14th is a pretty reasonable number, I would say, in that 10 to 15 range is basically where I'm going to end up having him ranked next year. Yeah, it'd be hard for me to make him an ace, though. I'd rather I'd, I'd rather stick him under 12 somewhere. All right, some big news from Jose Abreu. It's reported, Buster only, that the Astros have fallen short in the bidding, and the Red Sox don't expect to sign him. So it appears that the White Sox are likely the favorites, given the three finalists reported earlier by Jesse Sanchez. And, of course, Jose Abreu has been in the news over the last month or so. Big Cuban first baseman. Really, really good numbers. And... Uh, he looks to be the next Cuban guy to come over following Yasiel Puig and uh, and Ioannis uh, uh, Cespedes. And uh, his numbers look fantastic. And I, I believe you have some translations to help figure out what this guy can do in the majors next year. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that's so hard about it is that um... – well, there's a few things. One, one, number one is that the, the parks are inconsistent. I, I took a look at whatever pictures I could find of, of Cuban parks, and um, one of them looked like maybe a, a nice AAA park uh, where uh, there's nice seats. It, you know, it looks well-defined in the outfield. The, the grass looks okay. The infield looks okay. And there's a lot of, um, you know, everything looks sort of like on the up and up. And then there was another one that I looked at that looked – a little bit more like a sand lot, looked like a hard infield, um, looked like the outfield, you know, there was fence missing in some parts. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's uh, a thing to wonder about a little bit, especially with power guys. I mean, what if you hit it to the part where there's no fence? <laughs> <laughs> Home run, you know. Uh, I think for the most part, they're okay. You know, it's just hard. You, you're not playing in Havana. There's like, there's a little bit of inconsistencies with, with, um, you know, the, the, the stars are, are, it's almost not collusion, but like the stars playing Havana and like there's a couple powerhouses and, there, and there's a couple ways that the league is structured so that the, the best players play in the, in the bigger places. And that, that means that, you know, if you're maybe not in, the, if in Havana or something, maybe you can beat up. Anyway, it's hard to tell exactly what a player coming out of Cuba is going to do. But the one that the best at it is Clay Davenport, who used to work at Baseball Prospectus. And uh, Clay Davenport has a translation. Um, and he did a translation for Cespedes. And uh, his translation for Cespedes was 271, 338, 489 um, and, uh, as a slash line. And Cespedes' real um, numbers came up just short of those. So... His real numbers, his translations were 271, 338, 489, and his real life numbers are 265, 324, 472. So that's really, really good. It's pretty good. And he did, he, uh, you know, Puig, we, we have such a limited sample, it's hard to tell, but Puig's numbers, uh, translations were a little bit better than Cespedes, and Puig so far has done a little bit better than Cespedes. So, so far, so good. The Davenport translation for Abreu is amazing. I'm going to give it to you here. 321 batting average. So 321 batting average. 446 on-base percentage. 
a 667%. What? That's crazy. That's better. That's better across the board than Barry Bonds' career line. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Something's broke, Clay. Time to check out what's going on in there and fix some stuff. Yeah, that one seems crazy. Uh, but the thing is, I mean, it, it, you have to walk back from that. Uh, the nice thing, uh, if he is a, a power and patience guy, the nice thing for him is that it sounds like it's the White Sox, and they have a great park for that. Um, and then the last, the, the last uh, bit is that the Cuban season is short, so you have to think about that translation that I just read you came off of 315 at-bats in 2010. I'm not even going to read you the translation for 2011 because it's even crazier. <laughs> well... Almost an 800 slugging well, on the translation for his 2011. But if you put the two together, you've got uh, almost a full season in America. And uh, basically, you're saying, here's this guy who has insane numbers um, in a triple-A, quadruple-A environment um, in one year and was 25 and 26, whatever he is. So... There are all these caveats, but, you know, once again, he didn't have the choice of being somewhere else. He didn't have the choice of being in the, in, in the American pros. So it's not like you can say his team kept him in double A. It was just he was in Cuba and that's where he played. So, um, you know, it's hard to hard to know exactly what he's going to do, but he's going to be very exciting. You know, somebody asked me if I would draft him as a top five first baseman with all this risk and all this, you know, question marks. I I. I'm, I probably wouldn't, but if, the, if, if my league was not drafting first baseman and he was dropping and, you know, I was, and it was a redraft league and I had skimped on first baseman and we're looking at the sixth and seventh rounds, I might actually do it there because by that point I've got some studs. I probably have a pitcher already. So you're talking about you have three, three four studs and a pitcher. That sounds like the time to, to, to take a risk on a really, especially if it's like, a pro league, like a, a tout or a labor, I might take a risk there and just go, hey, I'm going for it. Yeah, it'll be actually interesting in early mocks once Abreu gets signed to see where he goes because who knows? He might go on the 15th because nobody has a clue what to expect from him and the 6th to 7th might seem early or he might get a load of hype because these translations are coming out and they're listening to our excitement on this podcast, and that moves him into the top 10 rounds. We have no idea. But you did mention the ballpark, and U.S. Cellular Cellular Field has actually been the best home run park for right-handed batters over the last couple of years. So you couldn't possibly ask for a better home ballpark for him to go to than U.S. Cellular. Uh, Of course, his surrounding cast isn't exactly good. And you also have to assume, this is very interesting, because... Paul Canerco has not announced his retirement, but they got to assume that he's going to retire if they want to sign Jose Abreu, right? Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think he's an outfielder, and we know Adam Dunn's not an outfielder. So um, I do know that uh, Canerco was. I mean, if I remember correctly, and I'm, I'm going to have to check with you, but he was talking about retiring. Yes, I just checked uh, the latest news on him, and it said that he was going to give it, you know, a month or so to actually decide whether he was going to officially retire. Ah, uh, well, you know, if his team if his team buys a, a, a young Cuban at his position, I think they, that might uh, that might goose him in one direction. Yeah, and, and yeah, and I don't I can't imagine that 
Canerco is going to then say, all right, I'll be okay signing with another team because another team might not even give him a starting job. So to me, it's either, yeah, they don't sign Abreu and Canerco will give it one more year or they sign Abreu and Canerco retires. Yeah, which is sad because I do actually think that he would make a good mix uh, for like a Baltimore, uh, which needs uh, which needs like a, a, a DH pretty ba- pretty well. Oh, you know, I so want to believe that Nolan Reimold still has a breakout in him. Is it time to give up on him? I because I know because I know you had him in our Tower Wars League. No, I've I've owned him for four years in some league. <laughs> I mean, he's he's like 28, so you know I have actually owned him. Is he that old already? Oh my god! (laughs) So uh, I I think um, I think the boat might have sailed. I mean, they I mean, you know, the caveat is we uh, we don't know they they have some missing some parts that are going away. I mean, McLeod is a free agent. Um, You know, they could use some DH help Uh, if they move Davis to DH, then they need a first baseman. So. There are some moving parts there, and they could they have they might have a little bit of money, but um, uh, you know I don't know I I I I don't want to give I don't I try not to give up on anybody, and in my you know deep in my benches on my you know you know twenty team leagues and stuff I'll I'll draft him again for free, but I'm I'm not gonna trade for him I'm not gonna he's not gonna be a part of my draft strategy. <laughs> he's not gonna be next year's Lucas Duda or Angelton Simmons is what you're saying. Don't attach me to him because he was one of my my dudes this year. He let me down. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move along to Los Angeles and tell me, is Call Crawford done? I mean, if you look at his line, six home runs all year, only 15 stolen bases. He was like barely above replacement level. And typical, as you see in the postseason, he already has four postseason home runs after only six all season long which is pretty hilarious, but his steals are just disappeared. He was never a big power hitter to begin with, but now without the steals, he's basically nothing. Yeah, I mean, you have to take the under uh, on, you know, the steamer projections, uh, a little bit of a quirk in the, in the plate appearances we've seen. You have to take the under on those plate appearances and uh, and make uh, Carl Crawford probably like a 500 plate appearance guy again. I mean, It'd be hard to project him much past that, given his last two years. So, uh, if you if you shave off a, a fifth of those numbers, or uh, yeah, if you change face, if you just reduce those a little bit, you've got a guy who's going to hit two seventy five with ten homers and twenty stolen bases. And uh, that actually does have value. That does have value. Fifth uh, fifth outfielder in like a fourteen team league. I I. I It'd be hard to even run him out there in a 12-team league with those numbers. Obviously, he has upside beyond that. So I think he's draftable. Um, you know, final piece on a team where you kind of ignored stolen bases a little bit. I think there, he should be a name you should remember. But, I mean, the four home runs are almost um, are almost irrelevant because he's not a power hitter. And uh, it is just the postseason and small sample. But um, and it, it, I'd actually, I'd actually be more impressed if he'd stolen four bases. I'd be like, well, maybe his, maybe his wheels got healthy. Yeah, he's already 32, which actually surprised me. Again, makes me feel old that Carl Crawford is 32 because I still think of him as young enough that you wouldn't expect his steals and speed to disappear. But he's not young enough. He's 32, and and you can't expect a rebound in stolen bases. And I don't, I mean, the steals just kind of 
completely vanished. He went from 60 to 47 to 18. Yeah. And that's the year they signed him. My God. Yeah. It wasn't even like 35 to 28. It just completely disappeared. And you keep expecting a rebound, and that rebound is just not happening. I mean, he's like a one-man argument against free agency. <laughs> and they, I mean, it is, look at his line. It's like, he was, you know, he, he was comfortably out of the minor leagues. He hadn't gone back to the minor leagues since 2002. And all of a sudden, he signs with the Red Sox, and all these minor league appearances come popping up because he's on rehab all the time. Yeah. Seems like something that would happen with the Mets. Surprise the Mets. <laughs> I know. Yeah, God, they didn't yeah, sign him. But also, you look at his triples, and that's a stat that I like to look at for speedsters because, as we know, triples are really doubles for speedsters. And he only hit three triples this year. So that base, and that, that's a career low, and that validates to me that, yeah, he's definitely lost speed. And so expecting any more than 20 in a full season is probably foolish at this point. Yeah. All right, let's move along to continue and finish up our catcher chatter. And next year is going to be very interesting because we're losing two top catchers. And Mike Napoli is going to be first base eligible. And Victor Martinez, did he even get enough games at first base or is he going to only be DH eligible? I think it would be a DH. Let me quickly take a look. But that really kills both of their values. And if Victor Martinez is only a DH, I don't know about you, but I, I really hate clogging up my D. Okay, he played 11 games at first. So in some leagues, he'll be first eligible next year. In most leagues with 20-game eligibility, he'll only be DH. And well, that actually will be an interesting discussion next week um, because they won't appear in their in the first base rankings because um, what we've decided is just to show them at their most valuable positions. Um, but, you know, they'll be switching, both of them will be switching from catcher to first base. So whatever you see next week in terms of first base rankings, you have to sort of add two guys to, three guys with a brave probably. And uh, and whenever you see a catcher this last week, you have to subtract two guys from. So it is, a, it, it is I think, considering that we're talking usually about the top 10, 15, 20 guys, two guys moving from one position to another at the same time that are in the top 10, uh, that's a significant move. Yeah, and where would you think of Mike Napoli? I mean, what he did this year is pretty much Anthony Rizzo minus the steals, and without catcher eligibility, I can't imagine thinking that Rizzo and Napoli would have similar value at just first base. Yeah, I might. Um, well, I mean, where Rizzo might have, Rizzo has a better strikeout rate and, and maybe more batting average upside. Uh, Napoli has a little bit more power upside, and the outside chance that whoever signs him, if it's not the Sox, um, considers putting him a catcher for five or six or seven games. Um, if it's a keeper league or, or, you know, does it in season and then all of a sudden you can slot him in a catcher. So um, I think that, uh, you know, if push comes to sub, I'd have to take Napoli. And, and on base percentage, I'd probably have to take Napoli, but uh, he might be more expensive. So Victor Martinez, DH only, do you even bother drafting him in a 12-team mixed league and clogging up your DH spot? Uh, I can't imagine it. I, you know, one thing that is uh, that is nice about him is that he's failed to hit 300 uh, th- two times in his whole career. Um, 
that's pretty impressive, actually. So, uh, you know, he's a, he's a contact hitter with power in a league that, you know, doesn't really have that many contact hitters with power anymore. And on a good offense. And on a good offense. Behind so, two on-base percentage monsters. So, you know, if you, can, if you can slot him in for another 300, you know, 15 to 20 homers, 90 RBI next year, you know, it'll probably come pretty cheap. That's but, actually Billy Butler-esque. Yeah. And I know it you know quote unquote clogs up your but what it does is it gives you batting average you know at a at a time in the draft when you're probably looking at guys who don't have it yeah i mean he's the type of guy where all season long you're going to be looking at your team and wondering who to upgrade and all season long you're going to want to upgrade him because batting average is something that you don't you don't feel contributions in batting average you feel the counting stats. You feel the home runs and the stolen bases. He obviously doesn't steal bases. Home run-wise, he's below replacement level in terms of a, a utility guy. And so you're just banking on, like, RBIs. And it, he just doesn't feel as valuable as he might actually be. Yeah, batting average is a really weird <clears throat> really weird stat because it's, it's, it feels like one of those stats you can only lose on. It's like you're always just trying to push that boulder back up the hill and if you get in trouble with batting average by the you know by the the time you're getting three quarters through the season, you you might as well give up. All right, let's talk about some guys who will continue to maintain their catcher eligibility, and one that had a big disappointing year that I was going to actually mention on Tuesday as a potential sleeper is Miguel Montero. And it's funny to me how I yo-yo on players because coming into the year, I thought he was overvalued, and heading into next year. I bet he's going to be undervalued, and, and this is exactly what happens. Um, basically, everything went wrong for him this year. Do you think there's a chance at, at a rebound here? I think that uh, the injury problems—it's uh, actually interesting because I think the injury problems probably had a lot to do with why what the season he had. Um, and you know, I do think that if he were healthy, he could have a better season. The problem is. That catchers almost always have injury problems, and it's you know especially when they get into their thirties. So, um, you know, he's he's on the wrong side of thirty now. Do I think that he could uh, you know be one of the two sixty fifteen guys? You know, two sixty batting average, fifteen home runs easily, and he has upside beyond that. So if he falls into that group, I, I'm really going to be waiting on catchers next year because if he falls into that you know, 8 through 14 group, I'd, I'd rather have him than a lot of the guys down there. You know, I think that group has now become 3 through 30. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, why, why, why really, uh, why spend money on that, on that position? It looks pretty crappy. Yeah, it's true. And Montero's injury, he dealt with back issues most of the season. And back issues are not what you want to see from a hitter. So that's obviously concerning. But... If it doesn't affect him next year and he's fully recovered, then I think he will be undervalued. If you look at his batted ball distance, it was essentially identical this year to last year, suggesting that his power should rebound. His home over fly ball ratio is actually the exact same. He just hit fewer fly balls, and that was basically the difference. And his doubles rate was down, which is why his ISO basically collapsed. But it was also a bad bit issue, even though his batted ball distribution looked pretty good. And uh, similar to past years, pretty good avoiding the pop-up, makes uh, hits line drives at an above-average clip. So I think his bad bit is going to rebound. I think he's a pretty good 
uh, rebound candidate, and he'll be undervalued next year. So you have to take two two guys out, right? So you take your you take Napoli and, and Victor Martinez out, and we're just so you take Napoli and Victor Martinez out of the rankings. Montero was twentieth with among guys who got four hundred plate appearances, so he's twentieth already. If you give him back just batting average, so that he's about two sixty two seventy, that uh, and don't even give him back his power, he'll slot basically behind AJ Pruszynski. Uh, who had a 275 batting average, 17 homers, uh, or right around Brian McCann, who had a 250 bat, 256 batting average, 20 home runs. So those guys were 13, 14 this year, minus two, 11, 12. So right now, you know, even with just regular Babbitt luck, he was out just outside the 12, uh, outside the top 12, I think. So you know, if he recovers some of that power, he's into the top 12. I don't think he's done being a being a relevant in mixed leagues is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, there are definitely warning signs. Worst swinging strike percentage of his career, and I, not a good trend at his age. But again, you can chalk up some of that to injury, perhaps. And again, this is catcher. So, assuming that he doesn't miss as much time with injury and his at bats rebound, he'll get more than 450 again. Then yeah, he's back in that 15 home or 270 plateau, and you'll probably be able to get him cheaper than that. Another way to look at it is play leapfrog. So can he can he be better than Nick Hundley, who was right above him? I think so. Grandall's coming back. Can he be better than J.P. or Aaron Sebia? Anybody can. Hey, Steamer wants to join the party. You know what it's projecting? Did you see that? 15 yeah. runs, 260 batting average. Hey, yeah. You can be better than John Buck. Uh, you can probably be better than Ryan Domit, who has just an asterisk because he you know he plays some DH in first base and stuff. Uh, Russell Martin has the stolen bases. I think Domit is done because they finally are playing their younger guys, and they realize that if Domit's not catching, then he doesn't really have a whole lot of offensive value. Yeah, Pinto Pinto looks like more interesting to them. So, I mean, if Domit doesn't get those plate appearances, he's better than them. You know, now we're at 15 right now. So, yeah, I, I think he's a guy that might end up on my teams if I wait really long. All right, Jonathan LaCroix. He had his best season of his career. Actually, he did not. Well, I mean, he had, let's see, his Woba. His Woba took a tumble from 2012, but he had a lot more at-bats. So it kind of looks like a breakout, but from a per-at-bat perspective, it wasn't a breakout. So the question is, is, does he repeat? Is this performance now his new true talent? Is he a 15 to 20 home run guy with a good batting average? Uh, I mean, I, I've always liked Luke Roy. Um, I the one thing I don't like about him is that there's a little bit of a smack of uh, Salvador Perez around him. Where I don't like owning ba- uh, catchers for batting average just because they get fewer at bats and um, they uh, their batting average is therefore worth less. They have fewer hits. Uh, also. The catcher BABIP is is below the league average, and so you're kind of expecting them to have a high BABIP, even though catchers don't usually. Uh, but the nice thing about Luke Roy is that he, he's not just a BABIP guy. He's not Salvador Perez. I believe in his power more, um, and he's he'll swipe a base or two. And I mean, I, I think he's a I think he's pretty de- pretty decent. Yeah, I think everything that he did this year was legit. The only concern I have is he did it in 521 at-bats. And projecting that again for any catcher, not named like Carlos Santana or 
Well, Joe Maurer, I don't think got that many at bats, but for the most part, very few catchers exceed the 500 at bat plateau. And so I would feel more comfortable with a 450 to 475 at bat total, which are going to reduce all of his counting stats across the board. And of course, I'm not going to project nine stolen bases again. I don't know where those came from. Yeah, I mean, he stole like three in the last last week, so you could pretty much just take those three off. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he steals bases. I, I, you know, Steamer has him for five. And Steamer has him um, with uh, 80 less plate appearances. So uh, basically just take some RBI, skim some RBI and stolen bases off the top. Steamer has him right back in there for 280 for batting average. So just a little bit less uh, power. I don't know, though. I mean... You know, two two straight years now, he's uh, he's shown a little bit more power than we expected, and he hits in a nice park for power. So yeah, and his home run per fly ball has been reasonable, ten to eleven percent. It's not like it's been outrageous, and his batted ball distance supports that. So I think it's completely legit. I would take the over on the steamer ISO projection. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, his uh, home ISO is lower than his away. And uh, his home home run for fly ball is lower than his away, but uh, the yeah, that's chopping up the numbers a little bit, and uh, that might actually be a good sign. I mean, it means that he's not just an inflation uh, due to his home park, but uh, he's also a great uh, defensive. He's a fr- great framer, um, really great interview. Uh, I know I know these things don't matter, but uh, you know maybe they do. Good guy. Yeah, exactly. Good guy. And is it Lucroy or Lucroy? And I know whatever you say, I'm going to assume it's going to be the opposite because we know how good your pronunciations are. Um, Do not. I, I just called him Hey. I called him Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, JP Arancibia, is there any hope for fantasy value ever again? When they still had Travis Darno, the thought was, all right, Darno is probably going to take over the catching job soon, but they don't have him anymore, so they don't really have anybody to push him for a starting job. He posted a 259 Wilbur this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And apparently his defense was really bad too. Or not really bad, but pretty bad. Um, maybe I, I, you know, if he goes, if he goes into arbitration and wins a decent amount because he hit 21 homers, then I actually think he might be a non-tender candidate because they'll be like, yeah, he hit 21 homers, but he didn't walk half of the league rate, and he struck out amazing amounts of time. So I think, um, I don't know, I, I think they'll, he'll be a guy they keep around while he's cheap. I, it's really hard to recommend him in any leagues. I mean, his steamer projection is 219 batting average. I don't really see why he would be any better than that. I mean, he's basically John Buck with probably a bit more power. Obviously not John Buck now, but which John Buck is old and he's not going to have a job, but the, the 220-20 home run John Buck, the problem with Aaron Sebia is that his batted ball distribution is just not conducive to a good batting average. Too many fly balls, too many pop-ups, he's a catcher, so he's slow, not enough line drives, there's just nothing good here, and so he's just basically home runs. He's like a one-category guy. You know, what they might what they might do is, you know, work outside of the system. I mean... If, if 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 arbitration is going to award him too much money for those home runs, then what they can do is release him and say, "Hey, we'll re-sign you for two million instead of the five million they wanted to give you because you hit twenty home runs." 
I mean, he's he's definitely one of those guys. John Buck keeps getting passed around from team to team because, you know, if you sign him for a million or two, then then he's fine. But if you have to sign him for any more than that, then it's too much. All right, getting back to the Twins, we were talking about Dolmit, and then you mentioned Yasmiel Pinto, and I know that you were asked about him in your chat today, and you seemingly threw him into that enormous and still-growing group, apparently, of 260, 15 homer guys. Is that what you see? Yeah. Is that what you would expect of Pinto next year, or <laughs> of an upside? Or are you just, at this point, you're just like, oh, he's a catcher, 260, 15? <laughs> yeah, that's just my... Across the board projection for all catchers. I mean, the thing that's difficult is that in his 83 play appearances, he struck out so much that it would be difficult to. I mean, he struck out 26% of the time and he had a 440 batting average on balls in play. If you just looked at those two things, you'd be like, okay, this is a guy who might be like a 220 batting average. I mean, that's those are almost JP like numbers. Um, but then you have to look at the rest of his career, and there's a little bit of Wilson Ramos in him where he's been striking out around 16% of the time consistently since 2012. Um, so if he's if he actually, you know, Steamer says 18% strikeout rate, and if he combines that with the higher uh, ISOs that he's been showing, then he could actually hit, you know, 260 with 15 home runs. Yeah, and... The problem you- is that... The problem is that this is this is like um, this is more risky than a lot of the other guys. I mean, I take Montero over him in a second. Oh, absolutely. But it is funny that if you extrapolate the steamer projection out to you know 400 and change at bats. The batting average is 255, which is very close to 260, and the home runs is right in that 15 home run range. It's, yeah. It really is amazing. We're not even trying anymore. Steamers <laughs> just be like, yup. You're everybody is the same hitter as a catcher. Catcher, catcher equals 260, 15. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I never really heard of Pinto before he started taking Ryan Dome to bats. Um, obviously, he performed really well, but you see this a lot where guys get called up and they strike out a lot more than normal, and usually. It's a fluke, but not always. And, and next year, we'll, we'll see the steamer-projected strikeout rate, which is similar to his minor league rate. But you, you have to be concerned that he didn't look, I guess, ready. Although it's silly to say that he wasn't ready, given the power and the bad bip. But the strikeout rate, I mean, that kind of suggests that maybe he wasn't exactly ready. So you can never be sure. So there is that risk there, obviously. But he did make himself into quite the, the sleeper if you can nab him in the late rounds and as a guy who has the upside to do what everybody else you're, you're counting on. Yeah. He, you know, we actually have an article on him called, uh, calling him a sleeper catcher from August from Stoltz, uh, which is cool because I think he was called up shortly after that. Um, it basically says that his, his defense is the question. He, he was kind of one of those guys that didn't have enough bat for first, and uh, and didn't maybe didn't have enough glove to to be behind the plate, but you know as long as he uh, as long as they think he's a catcher, and given that the Twins employed uh, Ryan Domit to be you know Di- Ryan Domit's nickname is Ryan Nomit, uh, so uh, you know maybe they don't value catcher defense that much. Um, you know that might mean that uh, they uh, they think that as long as he's calling an okay game and and getting some hits that they're okay with him. So 
Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, also you have to factor in the fact that Joe Maurer, um, you know, the, the concussion, they're already talking about first base for him. So read my mind. Yeah. So there's going to be some playing time there for him, I think. And with, um, you know, I don't know what they do with Doman. Maybe they just release him, but, um, or maybe they trade him. I mean, you know, a DH, you know, Baltimore, DH, you know, a couple catching games. I don't know. I mean, Baltimore has actually picked up players like that before that were DH slash, you know, catcher guys. They've done that before. Um, maybe maybe there's a match there. Yeah, I mean, getting back to Pinto, his playing time is totally predicated on what the Twins decide to do with Joe Maurer because there was a talk about moving him to first base. And if they do that, then it seems like they're saying Pinto is the everyday catcher. They don't make the move of Mauer to first, then maybe Mauer splits time between catcher and first, and that cuts into Pinto's time. So that'll be a situation worth monitoring to figure out exactly what to expect from Pinto next year. Yeah, and it all sounds like a lot of risk. Uh, so I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't get too... Uh, Excited. Dependent, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, make a strategy that sort of depended on him. Um, but, uh, you know, he's definitely worth remembering. I hate to put everybody into that package. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'll, you know, I, I come out more and be like, okay, Miguel Montero, Matt Weeders, these are guys I'm going to draft. These are guys uh, that I might actually build a strategy around because I'll be like, hey, those guys will be available late. And I think people will be too down on them. And, and so, therefore, if I have two or three of those guys, I can build a strategy on them. You know, if I had two or three Yosemite Pintos, I'd be nervous about my strategy. All right. Well, that does it for our talk about 260, 15 home run catchers. I think we're completely done with that because I'm exhausted from the 260, 15. I want somebody to come up. Because we haven't had any, like, real big catching prospects. I don't even think there are any guys on the horizon that are like big time offensive threats as a catcher. Are they? Are there? Well, Zanino was supposed to be that. And, um, you know, the problem is he can't hit the curveball. If he can't hit the curveball, he could actually uh, get past 260 15 because he has legit power. And, uh, you know, but if he can't hit the curveball, then, uh, you know, it's going to be more like a 220-20 kind of situation, maybe another. Buck, JPR, and CBA. Well, I was, I was about to say that. But, you know, other than that, the problem is that uh, Zunino can actually walk. So it's not quite that bad and probably better defense. But um, we'll see. Zunino, I think, is, a, is an interesting name. I, mean, I think they rushed him a little bit. And it, it's not over for him yet. All right, well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again next Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.